You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. Amazing. Um, let's just pray before we open the Word of God. Lord God, we just pray right now for soft hearts in this place. God, we pray for an openness for your Spirit to move. God, as we unpack this kind of difficult, in some way, scripture, God, we just pray that the grace of God, the goodness of God, that your favor and your grace will be on us right now. God, we just pray that hearts will be moved towards you, Jesus. Less of my words and more of yours, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to ask you a strange question today, um, and you can put your hands up if you want uh, to see how you fit on this. Um, do you have, not this, this is Influence Church, you do have Influence Church? Do you have Influence, do you have an arch nemesis? Anyone? Hands up. <clears throat> Mainly the front row, excellent. Um, <laughs> great, quite a few of elevators. Okay, hands down. Um, I, asked, um, I asked my kids this the other day, and Noah said, hmm. I've never had an arch nemesis. A foe I've had, though. So I said, who is your foe? So he said, I had a foe. His name was Fabian, but then I let it go. So I have no idea what Fabian ever did in, in year two to Noah, but he became his foe. But he didn't have an arch nemesis. I did. I had an arch nemesis. Um, for the purpose of this being recorded, we're going to call him Mr. Henderson. Um, but he was uh, basically my humanities teacher. And I don't know if anyone teaches humanities in this room. I don't think so. But it seemed like a pointless subject to me. It's one of those ones that you had to do for GCSE in my school. I don't know why. Um, it was like a bit of everything but nothing. Kind of felt like that was a subject. It probably has some purpose somewhere but not to me. And so it was one of those ones I was forced to do. And so um, year 10 was fine. Had a nice teacher. Year 11, I entered Mr. Henderson's class. And Mr. Henderson was done with life and children. Um, he was one of those teachers. He had been there and outlived the war and every other person in there and was really done and should have probably left a few years before because he hated children, which if you're a teacher, is not a good move. And I was in year 11, and to give you some context, I was a good girl in school. I uh, was like a prefect. I was a vice captain of my house. I tutored kids that were struggling in RE especially, and I ran my CU. So I was a good girl. Teachers like me. Kids, mixed response, really, because I was in a non-Christian school and stood out like a small sore thumb. Um, and so... I was in his class, and one of the first lessons he did was said, okay, children, which is not great to address your 11s as that, um, I want you to write down this on, in your books. Evolution is a fact. Everything else is nonsense. And I was like, I don't know what to can do about this. So I just wrote, evolution's a theory, and I believe in creation. And he did not take that well. And we became arch nemesis of each other. Um, uh, and so we uh, probably, in hindsight, it was years on me. I maybe would, could have done it more graciously, but we went to war uh, for a while. And he just did not like me and saw me as a problem. And I remember my mum and dad seeing him at parents' evening and being like, um, you know, is there an issue? Because I got marked down a grade one time because I didn't use my ruler properly to underline date. It was like that bad. And at one point, I like said something and he took it some way and I probably was a bit, you know, 16 and argumentative and said something. And he said, if, if you don't think I can teach you anything else, then you're welcome to leave my class. So I was like, okay. So I left my class. <laughs> 
I went down to my RE department and um, helped my RE teacher and he kind of softened the blow and we sort of reconciled to the point of getting me through that GCSE. And I remember him saying, you will fail this. And I was like, you watch me. I think I studied that more than anything else. <laughs> and then that summer is the GCSE summer year, so you kind of get a longer time off and start off by breaking my arm. But by the time I finished, my arm was fixed. Went on lots of missions for the whole summer and spent so much time sleeping on church floors or in tents that I had a kidney infection because I just had cold beds to lay on for ages. But it was an amazing year. And the last week before I got my GCSE results, I, um, and I was ready to tell him stuff. I was ready, I knew I'd passed, and I was ready to shove it in his face. And I had all those things in my head of how I was going to show that he was wrong. I was going to take him down. The word cancelled hadn't really happened by then, but I was ready to cancel him before cancelling was a thing. I was like, you are a bad man. And so I'm ready to take him down. And I'm in this meeting in a tent in Soul Survivor or something and having this encounter with God. And they'd said, come forward if you want to change the world, if you want to do that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm there, Jesus. I'm like ready to take on the world. I'm going to change it. And so clearly, I remember God saying to me, you need to forgive Mr. Henderson. And I was like, you forgive him. <laughs> and then I was like, but he doesn't deserve it. And so clearly, so clearly, I still remember God saying to me, neither did you. And I was like, oh, rubbish. <laughs> you know how there's some bits that are really nice about being a Christian? <laughs> like the peace that we get, that's nice. <laughs> That we can have joy in the morning, that's nice. That we have hope when things are difficult. That we have a rock to stand on. And then there's the forgiveness bit. And I don't like it. And it's uncomfortable. And I remember having to walk to the front to respond and thinking, he does not deserve this. He deserves Because he basically bullied me and he didn't really deserve it. He was, when I think about it, a pretty poor teacher. And it wasn't good. But I just remember so clearly God, for the very first time, teaching me the importance of forgiveness that it's not about whether they deserve it or not. It's not about whether it's earned or not. It's not about whether you feel it or not or you fancy a bit of forgiveness. It's about a choice that you make. And actually, when we don't make it, I would say it's incredibly, incredibly damaging. Now, I want to preface this session, this sermon, by saying this. What I'm not saying in this is become a doormat. If somebody is abusing you or hurting you in some way, I'm not saying just keep forgiving them and stay where you are. I'm not saying don't report things, because I know that in this room, there's maybe 200 people. We've all got different stories and things going on. But I'm saying that things that we hold on to, things that are hurting us, we need to bring them to Jesus and allow him to do something. And we had the Easter story last week, and that was um, just so such a privilege to preach. I was in Cumbria all day, and I preached the Easter story, I think, 14 times we worked out. And I just really felt this year that I needed to get a fresh revelation. So I reread every um, version of it, every, um, every line about the, the Easter story, and studied it afresh. And so many things stood out from the Easter story about this forgiveness. Let's start at the Last Supper. Jesus was fully man and fully God, so he arrived that day knowing what was about to happen. He knew that this would be his last supper. He arrived and sat with his disciples and his followers, the ones who had been with him for three years, the ones he poured his life into, invested in, the ones that nobody else wanted to touch, and yet here were his disciples. They walked in after they'd been out in a busy time of ministry, and they had dusty feet, and what should have happened at that moment was a servant from the house should have cleaned their feet. And nobody did. And then what should have happened next is that a disciple, one of the followers of Jesus, the rabbi, should have cleaned their feet and no one stepped forward because it's no one's responsibility. So Jesus washed their feet. 
and ate food with them. And, you know, that in itself is amazing that a king, the king of kings, would come and lower himself to a servant's position and do something. That's not a pleasant job. Feet are not good at the best of times. Feet that have been worn in sandals in dusty road where there's donkey poo, not great. Uh, yet Jesus lowered himself to do that. And one of the people that was there, that was one of the feet that belonged to was someone called Judas. And we don't know when Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. I've spent actually a few months, I was chatting to Louise the week about this, I've been studying and wrestling with this for months, the Judas story. When did Jesus know? Did he know from day one? When he chose him, did he know you're the one that's going to betray me? We don't know. Some people say yes, some people say no. Did he know from a few weeks before? Had his attitude turned towards him? Had he become cold in the way he interacted with him? Had he avoided eye contact? Have you ever had people like that where you just, they're not looking really nice, something's going on? You just get a sense from someone. Or was it that day that suddenly he realized he's the one? We do know that by the time we get to John 13, which is at the meal, it says, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. So he did know that at that point that Jesus was about to betray him. Can you imagine sitting and eating and washing someone's feet if someone is about to betray you and cause your death to happen? Someone who should have been your friend, someone who should have been a follower, someone who should have been faithful, absolutely, utterly wasn't. And I saw a post the other day on Instagram that I shared. I didn't write it, but I shared it. And it says this, if I had one day left on earth, I'd eat all the good food, go to all the good beaches and do something fun. But Jesus knew this was his last day and he washed their feet and fed the people who were going to betray him. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that, that he knew that Jesus was about to do this and yet still he didn't say, you don't deserve it, get out. He sat a place from at the table, washed his feet, and then invited him for food. Like, amazing. That's who Jesus is. And then we get to Gethsemane. And Gethsemane is a garden. It's on the Mount of Olives. And one of the things about this Mount of Olives was that it was a place where special olives grew. And, and these olives often would be taken and crushed to make oil. And the oil from those olives would be made to anoint new kings that would come into the nation. And I think it's symbolic and amazing that Jesus sat on that mountain, looking down on the people, knowing that he was about to be crushed for the anointing of the new coming of God. Like, it's amazing. And Jesus sat there and said to just a few people that he took, would you just stay awake and pray with me? People who, that's the least they deserved. The very least is just keep your eyes open and keep praying for me because I'm struggling right now. They should have picked up on what was happening. He'd warned them many, many times, but they were so consumed with their own stuff that they didn't even stay awake and do something. We've got to be careful as Christians that we don't become meians, as in I follow what I like and what makes me feel comfortable. And what we see more and more in society, society becomes more me-centric. We start to see Christians who actually become me-focused. How I feel. I don't feel it, so I don't want to do it. Oh, I like that God loves me a bit. I like that God knows me and protects me. But the actually sacrifice bit, I mean, I could take it or leave it, really. I'm not keen on that part. I like this part of Christianity, but the forgiveness part, the, the bit that costs me, I don't want to do this. We don't want me-centric Christianity. We want Christ-centric Christianity. And when we start to feel challenged a little bit, what we know is we have a choice right now. Do we harden our hearts and say, nope? Or do we say, okay, God, if you're speaking to me, Holy Spirit, I'm going to allow you to do something because he is trustworthy. He's so good and so faithful. So some of you right now are like, I do not want this message today. But I just want to encourage you to allow God to do something. He is the great perfecter of our faith, and he knows you more than you know yourself. And Jesus sits in Gethsemane, 
And Luke, who's a doctor we know, wrote this. Luke 22, verse 41. He withdrew about a stone's throw behind them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And angels from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I actually, as I was preparing this message and preparing last, last week for Easter, um, I messaged Mary, who's in church, I don't know if she's here today or not, who's one of our doctors in church, and said, Mary, rather than Googling, what is this? And so she did some digging around and kind of contacted me and said, it's, one of the names for it is called hydrosis. And it's small capillary vessels feeding the sweat glands that burst open because of extreme physical or emotional stress. It's rare, but it happens. One of the other things that times it happens we read about is in history when men are marching in an army almost certainly about to die. And Jesus sat there in the garden knowing he was about to be crushed, sweating drops of blood because he was so overcome with the, the enormity of what was about to happen. And the Bible says he was thinking about you and I as he did that. He made a choice. I'm going to do this. He said, if, if there's any other way, I want to do it. But then he made it his choice in that garden. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to face what's about to come. Gethsemane, Jesus chose forgiveness. Then we find that he's on the cross. We talked about it last week at Easter. And I think there's three levels of pain involved in the cross. The first one's this, physical pain. That the physical pain was dark and immense. It was graphic. It was bloody. It involved most lungs in the body. It involved nails in the hand and a cross, a crown of thorns in your skull. It was not picture perfect like you see cartoons and just pretty and neat. It was messy and awful. And he knew he's about to go through this pain. The second type of pain is this, emotional. Now, can you imagine for a second what he felt emotionally? I don't know if you've ever been betrayed before, but the, that feeling hurts. And Jesus is totally betrayed. To know that the person that's caused this to happen is a friend is not good. To know that his mum's there watching this happen is a different level of pain. That He can't protect her from what's, what she's about to watch. To know that his followers, many of them have ran for the hills. That when they go and get the tough, the blokes went off, most of them, and denied him. Like Peter, who's supposed to be for him, who he said, Peter, you're going to deny me. and said, no, I would rather die than that happen. As soon as it's difficult... Off he goes. He hides away. The emotional pressure. And then the third thing is this, the spiritual weight. One of the things Jesus says on the cross is, Father, why have you forsaken me? And I read this that Spurgeon said recently, said this, his one moan is concerning God. It's not why has Peter forsaken me. It's not why has Judas betrayed me. These are sharp griefs, but this is the sharpest. The stroke that cut him to the quick. As horrible as the physical suffering of Jesus was, the spiritual suffering, the act of being judged by, for sin in our place was what Jesus dreaded about the cross. This was the cup, the cup of God's righteous wrath that he trembled at drinking. On the cross, Jesus became, as it were, an enemy of God who was judged and forced to drink the cup of the Father's fury. He did it so we didn't have to drink that cup. And then in Luke 23... He looks down at the people, the ones who are fighting over his clothes and drawing lots, and the ones who gave him vinegar when he wanted to drink, the ones who beat him and bruised him and started to murder him. He looked down and said, Father, forgive them. This story is woven with forgiveness. 
And then we get to Tim, because we know Easter did not stop at the cross. That was the start of the resurrection. And sometimes things have to go for us to have breakthrough. And with forgiveness, sometimes we have to let things go for things to come again and to be renewed. And so at the team, there's all sorts of incredible things that happen. But one of them is in the men that appear, they say this in Mark 16, verse 7. He said to them, don't be alarmed. This is the men, the angels. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. Then go and tell his disciples and Peter. Go ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him just as he told you. Go and tell your disciples and Peter. I love this. Peter, who had done a runner, who denied Jesus, who swore, said a naughty word, did all this stuff wrong. Peter, who was by all intents and purposes a complete mess up right now. I love that at the resurrection story, he's named by name. It's a bit of a sign from Jesus to say, okay, I'm forgiving you. The thing about forgiveness is it's not comfortable. It's not nice. Nobody likes it. Nobody thinks, I know what, someone's hurt me. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to forgive them. That'll make it feel a bit better. Ephesians 4 verse 31 says this. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults. But instead, be kind and affectionate towards one another. Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. Why do we forgive? Because he forgave us. And I remember having that revelation for the very first time when I was 16 years old in that tent in in Soul Survivor and thinking, oh, yeah. Like it was bad that that geography teacher who was clearly just having a rough year, I think he retired the year after, probably broken, um, was, but that's nothing compared to what I do. And so often we get this high and mighty kind of opinion of they should be better, they should do this, but we just need to realize and have grace with each other that we're all going through stuff. Every single person here has a story and is going through stuff and is hurting different ways. Remember in lockdown, um, the first bit of lockdown, if you remember, was quite nice. Anyone like those, look back on those days? Yeah, they were nice. It was sunny. People liked each other. We clapped. We did pans and all that sort of stuff. It was weird. Um, it was nice. And nothing was particularly bad in Richmond. We were in like some oasis of it's just nice. We're all just friends together. We'd wave. We'd have post-it notes in our windows. It was nice. The good old days of lockdown. And everyone liked us. We did Wednesday Night Live. Remember those? Yeah, you liked them. They were hard work for us, but they were nice. Um, we'd have that ridiculous thing that happened before church. What was that called? Oh, the thing that Ed did. What was it called? Hangout. Oh, my word. And do you remember how bad the, the stuff got as it got a lot? Do you remember the bread episode? That was terrible. The crime and punishment episode where we had someone who'd been in prison and a policeman talking. It was just bizarre. There were, but they were the good old days of lockdown. And then, the, the, then lockdown got less exciting and more like, oh, this is not three weeks anymore. This has been a long time. And stuff started to come up. We had to deal with some stuff with some people and, and, and many of us ourselves of like, wow, business has done a really good job of distracting me from what stuff has gone on in my life. And so we dealt with a few different things. I remember, remember one week we had um, just various stuff we'd been dealing with. And I was pretty much at the end of myself. And I remember walking and listening to some worship because we were allowed to walk. That was one of the things we were allowed to do still. And um, I was coming off the back of having a Zoom the day before with two different couples. And the first Zoom I had was with a couple who said, if you open church again, we're allowed to start making decisions. If you open church again, then it shows you have no care for us, so we're going to leave. The next Zoom was a couple that said, if you don't open church, it shows you have no faith, and we're going to leave. And I was like, (laughs) I don't know what we're supposed to do. Um, And just feeling totally shattered. And I just put a podcast on as as I was walking. And Christine Kane is one of my favorite preachers. She was speaking, and she read this verse. 
Psalm 34, verse 18, it says this. If your heart is broken, you'll find God right there. If you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. And I just, as she's talked about that she'd felt betrayed by someone and talked about what that meant, suddenly, more than ever, I got an understanding of what it is that makes it difficult. Rich, I just need you to come and help me on stage for a second. This is Rich's favorite moment of the week. Um, okay, I'm going to give you an example of why this is really important. Okay, um, so Rich, go over to that side. <clears throat> we did practice this, but you forgot your side, haven't you? Um, okay. <laughs> okay, so Rich is going to try and kick me. Okay, we've practiced this. Um, there's no try. Okay, Richard, try and kick me. Yeah. Okay, so that's no hurt there. It's just, it's just try again. A bit more excited. I thought you'd like to do a kick or something. No, no, okay, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> settle. When he's doing that over there, that doesn't really bother me. It's a little bit like, oh, I don't really like someone that's taller than me kind of having his foot towards me, but I don't really like it. So sometimes stuff happens. Like uh, we had some we had some really fun comments from people because church is online that, you know, uh, oh, women preachers, all that sort of nonsense and all sorts of stuff kicking off. And I, you don't like it, but I'm like, it doesn't really hurt me. It's just annoying. But then Richard, come closer. Remember, I can fire you. Paul Thompson's in the room. Okay. <laughs> Remember? Well, I didn't, uh, just be careful. Okay, Richard, try and kick me now. Okay, okay, a bit closer. A bit, clo a bit clo yeah, so see, see, okay, that's enough. You can get off now because I'm just losing my flow slightly. Um, the closer you are, if he'd actually kicked me then, uh, we did practice that you're not going to really make contact with me. Uh, I do have to preach again later. Um, it's going to hurt more, right? And sometimes the reason that we are struggling to let go of things is because the stuff over there, the, the, the noise, the Facebook posts, the, the criticisms of people you don't really care about or know about is annoying, but it doesn't really hurt you. But when someone's close to you, and that's what I realized as I was listening to the podcast, when they kick you and it feels like you're kicked in the gut, to kick someone in the gut, you have to be close. And I love this imagery that the, the writer, Paul, um, David, is saying, when you're heartbroken, you'll find God there. If you're kicked in the gut, he's going to help you catch your breath. Have you ever been winded? Oh, man, it hurts. I remember being winded by a rounders bat when I was in, like, year five, and I just thought I was going to die. I'm quite dramatic, but <laughs> I remember thinking, I can't breathe, you don't understand. And that's what it feels like when you really have been hurt by someone. It feels like I can't breathe. Have you ever had that sort of deep wound? And that's what we're talking about today, where you're like, I can't breathe, from I can't get over this. And so as I was preparing this, this, this message, I felt like God gave me four really clear things and some practical things. The first thing is this, we need to recognize it hurts. Sometimes what happens is something happens and we just brush it off. If you've ever had a wound that's difficult and deep, just pretending it's not there is not ideal. I don't know how much blood you've got in your body, but you don't want it to all go out. Um, the really medical term. <laughs> um, because eventually you've got to deal with it. And some of us, we have been hurt by someone or a situation or something's happened and we have allowed it to fester and, 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 and keep hurting us rather than taking authority and saying, actually, this hurt. And by taking authority and, and, and recognizing it, I'm not saying put a Facebook post about it. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not, what I don't want you to do is go home and name everyone that you need to forgive on Facebook because it's not helpful. <laughs> might make you feel better for a minute, but it will not go well for you. But to actually just say and articulate to Jesus this thing that happened, this hurt me. I felt betrayed. When you start to name the emotions, it stops giving them as much power and you start to articulate it. And then what you can also do is know, okay, this, this feeling that I feel, this, this feeling like I've been kicked in the gut, this is, this is betrayal. This is injustice that I'm feeling. 
And then as you name it, you start to realize, hang on, there's a name that's above every other name. And you start to put Jesus over that name and start to say, okay, this happened. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, he wasn't just pretending things were fine and just being like, I mean, God, if you've got another plan, that'd be great. He was saying, is there any way, and as he sweat drops of blood, he wasn't pretending that what was about to happen was about to happen. And sometimes we give God our best face. And God's like, I don't need your best face forward. I need your reality. I need to know what's going on. And, and he already knows, but there's some power in articulating to him, God, this hurt. This is disappointment. This is betrayal. This feeling that I feel feels like it's been kicked in the gut. And God, I need you to help me with this because this is how I feel. And when we start to name it, we can start to name Jesus. Jesus is over everything else. So the first thing is we recognize. The second thing is this. We need to remember. Uh, no, we need to re- uh, realize. We need to realize that we have been forgiven. Matthew 18, verse, from verse 23. This is a parable that Jesus gave. He said this, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle the account, a man who owned him, owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, when you go back in the original writing of the Bible, that's about $12 million. This is how much the person was owed. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife, and children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. And he deserved that. If you get into that much debt, that was the biblical, the right thing to do, that you'd sell everything to repay the debt. At this, a servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. Now, my guess is that he didn't have 12 million squirrels away somewhere to kind of just bet on stocks and shares. This was an unrealistic. There was no way he could ever pay him back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. That works out about 1% 1 out of 600,000% of what he was owed. It's kind of chump change compared to $12 million debt that he had. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back what he owed. This is how the heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. I mean, it's fairly simple. This, this, some parables take some understanding, but this is a picture of how we are, that we owe Jesus everything. And so often we hold a small offense and it, it poisons us and it damages us. And, you know, as I was thinking about this whole Easter story again, there was a part of the story that I hadn't really seen properly before. And it was a story about Barabbas. Barabbas was a criminal that was around the same time as Jesus. And both were presented before the people, the same people, some of the same crowd, who days before had shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna for Jesus. Now we're faced with, with two people. Barabbas, who's a bandit, is one of the descriptions of him. And Jesus, who is perfect, the savior of the world, who's done no wrong, never thought wrong, never stepped wrong. And because of the, the time of the year it was, they had a loophole and said to the people, who do you want to set free? There was a way Pilate, the, the, um, the, the leader of the nation, could say, okay, one can be set free. And he hoped, and his wife hoped, they'd choose Jesus because they'd start to have warnings about him. And the people, you know, the story shouted, free Barabbas, crucify Jesus. 
And I think they left it a little while and said, are you sure? And Barabbas went off free. And as I read that story again, I started to think about, wow, I mean, I wonder if the disciples, as this is happening, are starting to think, this is the loophole. This is how it's going to stop. It, it, this is the, the change of the story. They've been praying and believing and, and hoping that what looked inevitable wasn't going to happen, that Jesus actually wouldn't be crucified, because how could that possibly happen? How could the Savior of the world die on a cross as a criminal? And so as this opportunity happened, they were like, okay, here we go. This is going to be the breakthrough. And then Barabbas walks free. And as I read the story, I just started to kind of hate Barabbas a little bit because I thought, oh, Barabbas. Off he goes, scot-free. He's messed up. And then again, I felt the Spirit of God just say, but you're like Barabbas. And that's the story that we are Barabbas. We deserved all the stuff that happened to Jesus, separation from God, all this stuff. But because he took it, then we can walk free like Barabbas could. And so often we forget the magnitude of Easter. Easter is not supposed to be a one-time event once a year when you get some chocolate, hear a story that makes you emotional, then move on. It's supposed to really impact and flow through every part of our story, every response in our heart. It's supposed to be a reflection of how we're supposed to reflect how Jesus was. And part of it is to realize that we have been forgiven. So we need to forgive. The next thing is this, to rest. Rest in that God has got this. God is not saying it doesn't matter. You don't see in Scripture God ever kind of dismissing people's feelings and saying, don't be so stupid, settle down. You don't see Jesus kind of belittling people. You don't see Jesus saying it's just a panic attack, you know, it happens. You don't see Jesus saying all these things. You see Jesus being gracious and kind. And by saying, I rest in this, we're not saying rest in it's okay. Because God is a just God. And we should trust that he is just. But sometimes we need to rest and realize, I can't do anything about this. When we don't forgive people, when we hold on to unforgiveness, it's almost like I heard someone say, it's like drinking poison and hoping it poisons someone else. Because actually what's often happening is my geography teacher had no idea how angry I was. He just lived his life. He had no idea. And I was like holding on to these things and figuring out my plan of destruction and all this stuff. And some of us are holding on to stuff and really hoping that this hurts them in some way, but they don't even have any idea. It's doing nothing at all to that person that you're not forgiving them, but it's damaging you. It is damaging you to hold on to it. We need to rest and know that God has got this. He knows that he is the judge, not you. He is the one who's able to do these things. And holding on to this is so damaging. That scripture again says, if your heart is broken, you'll find God there. If you're kicked in the gut, he will help you catch your breath. Some of you, if you're honest, the way you feel, actually Emily prayed that this morning in the prayer time, you feel like you can't quite catch your breath in life. Physically you can, but there's something in you that feels like I can't catch my breath. And I would say one of the reasons sometimes is because we're holding on to unforgiveness. We're not trusting God to be just that God will deal with it. Some things are so big and so painful, and the event has happened, but we've stayed in it because we're holding on to this thing, and God said, okay, it's a new season. Time to lay that thing down and move on because you're not being helped by this. You're feeling like you can't breathe and can't get your breath out because you've been kicked in the gut. And the answer there is he will help you. You'll find God right there. He will help you catch your breath. And my prayer this morning is that some of you will catch your breath for the first time in a while this morning. The fourth thing is this, band, if you want to come to the stage. The fourth thing is release. 
We recognize, we realize, we rest, and we release. We let them off the hook. Again, I'm not saying if something's criminal happening that you just don't do anything about it, you've, you know, pretend it didn't happen. But I'm saying for those of us who are ruminating, let them off the hook. The off the hook terminology means it's a fisherman thing. You know, I'm down with a fisherman. Um, when you have a fish on a hook, it feels like the fish has no choice, but you do have a choice. You can either take it home, fry it, and eat it, for those fish lover gross things, um, or you can let it back and let it free again. And some of us need to let people off the hook that we're holding on to. Ruminating is so damaging. Ruminating means dwelling over it on it all the time, dwelling on negative feelings, distress, and their causes and consequences. Some of us, I remember that, that summer, I was having this great time serving Jesus. I started to get a vision for how I was going to lead churches, and I was going to do all this stuff. But in, on the evenings, I'd go home, and I'd start thinking about the teacher again. I had a decent plan of destruction planned for when I got my GCSE results for that teacher. I was going to say all sorts of stuff because I ruminated again and again and again. And some of you, it's bigger things. It's more than a geography teacher that's wronged you. It's big things and you ruminate on it. This is what it does to you physically. The signs and symptoms of rumination syndrome include this. Regurgitating and rechewing food on a regular basis. Digestive problems like indigestion and stomach aches. Dental problems such as bad breath and tooth decay. Weight loss and chapped lips. Why is rumination so bad for us? We're not made for it. You're not made for it. I'm not saying that what happened to you, and Jesus is never saying what happened to you didn't matter and didn't hurt. It absolutely did. But staying in that hurt, Jesus wants to give you a lift out of it. You're not saying that it was okay. You're not saying it's fine. You're not saying, oh, you know, they probably didn't mean any harm. Because some of you went through things that they absolutely did mean harm. And what they did to you, you did not deserve. And Jesus didn't turn a blind eye, but he was there with you. And he's there with you now and saying, come on, this no more needs to hold you back because there's freedom coming. And while you keep them on the hook, while you keep hold of it, you're still holding them. And it's bad for you physically. We're not made for unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, what it does is increase the risk of depression, heart disease, and diabetes. However, science shows this. Forgiveness calms stress levels, improves health, helps sleep, helps blood pressure decrease, and can help undo some of the things that we've done to ourselves. We're not made for unforgiveness. You are created to be forgiven and to forgive others. And some of us, the reasons that things are happening is because we are holding on to it. It's making us sick. That feeling of being kicked in the gut, it's not pleasant. And nothing of what I'm saying says this is easy. But I want to give you some practical things that I've learned in however old I am now, 40-something, to do with this. And it's stuff that I've learned and I've done. I want to give you some practical tips. The first thing is this, you invite Jesus into it. Absolutely invite Jesus in. Because when he's in, he can start to help. You start to help a little bit. He'll start to, to walk you through things. You don't do this on your own. You do this with Jesus. And however that needs to look for you. Some of you need to get with your life group leader. So young adults need to go and see Tim and Sharon. There needs to be some sort of process that you invite someone that, will, that you trust into it to help walk you through this. Jesus doesn't leave you in this. He's right there in the midst of it. He'll help you catch your breath. And some practical things that you can do. The first thing is, is buy someone a gift. Ridiculous, but it works. I remember um, talking to Sophia Barrett one time about something that happened that was really bad. Someone had done something really unkind to me, and I was ruminating on it again because um, this is not a quick thing. And she said, I want you to go and buy them a present. 
Now, I can shop easy. It's like a gift, like a spiritual gift that I have. Shopping's my thing. I can shop for easy. I have never struggled to shop so much as I did that day because I didn't want to buy it. And I remember thinking, well, I'll go to Primark. And then I remember thinking, no, I'll go to Next, spend more money. <laughs> and I was like, they don't deserve Next. They deserve Primark or less. But I just so remember, okay, and I remember buying this gift and sending this. And it wasn't like a this is the gift because you hurt me. I had to write some nice words and just, it changed something. The gift makes a way for a giver. Sometimes you need to actually send someone a gift. It doesn't need to be a long explanation, but actually do something physical that says, okay, I'm doing this. And the, the moment I sent that gift, something changed for me. It felt like, oh, okay, I've done that. Another thing that I've done before that's been helpful is something uh, that psychologists call the unsent letter, where to stop you ruminating all the time, but you write a letter to the person who hurt you. You set yourself a timer of half an hour and you write the letter, everything you want to say, all those things you think about at three o'clock in the morning that you're going to say to their face but you never have to do. And every time you're washing your hair, it comes back. You write it all down. Then here's what you do. You then write God's response. But God says, they made me feel like this, but God says, I'm more than a conqueror. God says, I need to let them go because he's let me go. God says, I am healed. God says, I'm not held back by this anymore. And then what you do is you tear the top bit off and you destroy it. And you keep the bit that God says. And every time it comes back, I've done this in the last few years, every time it comes back, you hold on to what has God said. God has said, I'm free. God has said, I'm not a failure. God has said that just because they said that doesn't mean it's right. And we start to speak a better word over ourselves. We start to speak God's word over. Rather than those things, you let it go. And the other thing that we do, and actually Christine Kane. In the podcast, though, I heard that scripture uh, afresh. She said she did something physical, and what she did was she wrote the person's name on some eggs, took them outside, and, and egged the wall. <laughs> and we're not going to do that here. We might do it in Bishop later. <laughs> a bit rougher in Bishop. <laughs> Egg the windows down the Hanover Way. They're running. They don't care. Um, and what we're going to do here is we've got some post-it notes and some pens and, and a bin in the middle. And this is not a quick thing. It's not like you do this, and then it's, you're, you're fine you done. It's not an issue anymore because some of it is deep. And, and wounds need sometimes reapplying, dressing, and, and helping and more. It's not just a one deep wound and they just leave it to it. Sometimes these things work and it needs to be a constant decision of every day. When that thing comes back, no, I chose forgiveness. I don't feel it, but I choose it right now. We need to not be me-centric, but Christ-centric. And sometimes that means getting your feelings in check and saying, no, no, feelings, you don't, you don't, you're not in charge. That God has said this, and I made a decision on this day, whatever day it is, that I'm going to forgive them. And I'm going to keep staying in that forgiveness. And man, it's hard. I said this, that it's not a fun, like, wee, it's exciting preach. It's a harder one. But this is important. You want to move on. This is important. One more quick thing as well before we do something. Some of you need to get baptized. Because there's something symbolic about happening when you go through the water that you let go of it. And one of the things that, that like Gary said already about the whispering that's happening is you can't do that because you've still held on to that thing. But actually, there's some authority that takes place. There's no magic water. It's water from the tap that's heated. But there's something symbolic that happens when you say, I am letting go of the old and coming out new. And some of you have been sat in church for a couple of years now, and there's all reasons why you won't get baptized. But I want to encourage you, it's something symbolic. And we've known people who've been baptized and come out and said, that thing that I had is gone. We've seen people heal through baptism. We've definitely seen people set free from stuff before. And so if you're one of the ones that you know that the Holy Spirit's been saying this for years, but you've not been able to, I want to encourage you to take the step. Something happens when you do that. But for some of us, you know the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. 
and you're like I was in that tent of, I do not want to do this because it almost makes it look like it didn't matter. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not saying it didn't matter. Forgiveness isn't saying that they were right and you were wrong. Forgiveness is not invalidating what they did, but what it's saying is they're off my hook. God, they're onto yours. They're your problem now. Trust that he is just. Ruminating ruins you. And some of us need to get off this. It's like a cycle that you get stuck on. And we need to get off the cycle. And the only way to do that is forgiveness. And it's hard. It's not like some of the other stuff that we preach. This is hard where you take a choice and say, God, I choose right now. I let them off. Put them onto your hook. They're not in my head anymore. God, I give them to you. Holy Spirit, in this place right now, we just pray, would you come? Would you move on hearts and minds? Would you start to minister to people who need your Holy Spirit fresh touch, Jesus? And just with eyes closed in this place, if you know that you're not right with God, I'm not talking about forgiveness right now, I'm just talking you know that you're not right with God, you're not in a relationship with him, you've held him at arm's length for whatever reason, or you've just knew his whole thing, and you know that you've not accepted God's forgiveness for yourself first, I want to give you a chance with eyes closed, it's just me and two other people looking. You know you need to respond to that. Would you raise your hand? We want to pray for you before we do anything else. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.